News of the Times Whitechapel Wednesdays Part 3 Welcome to our new series of Whitechapel Wednesdays. In this weekly series we cull together news reports in chronological order leading up to the infamous series of slayings. As Ripper enthusiasts will know, there is considerable discussion as to whether the slayings were confirmed only to the five reported. We have included reports outside of the five to show the build-up of terror in the Whitechapel area. We have also included other, sometimes seemingly minor, news stories during the time to give you a picture of the life and times of Whitechapel of 1888 as events build to the series of slayings. In this series, we offer no comment but adhered strictly to the papers of the time, all in chronological order. We hope you enjoy the show. Recap of last week. In last week's episode, Whitechapel Wednesday 2, the police spent considerable time trying to confirm the identity of the woman found stabbed 39 times at the foot of the stairs. Episode 2 also explored the possible suspects gleaned from a woman's eyewitness testimony. This trail, however, proved to be false. We included those articles as we build up both the murder list and potential suspects. In this episode, we move on to a fresh murder in Whitechapel in 1888. From the Manchester Courier and Lancashire General Advertiser, September 1888. Revolting murder in London. Horrible mutilation. The Central News says scarcely have the horror and sensation caused by the discovery of the murdered woman in Whitechapel some short time ago had time to abate when another victim of crime has been discovered in the same district. The affair up to the present is enveloped in complete mystery, and the police have as yet no evidence by which to trace the perpetrators of the deed. The facts are that as Constable John Neal was walking down Bucks Row, Thomas Street, Whitechapel, about a quarter to four yesterday morning, he discovered a woman, aged between 33 and 40 years of age, with her throat cut right open from ear to ear, the instrument with which the deed was done, having traced the throat from left to right, and quite dead. The wound was about two inches wide, and the blood was flowing profusely. In fact, she was lying in a pool of blood. The body was immediately conveyed to the White Chapel mortuary, where it was found that, beside the wound in the throat, the lower part of the abdomen was completely ripped open with the bowels protruding. The wound extends nearly to her breast and must have been effected with a large knife. The hands are bruised and bear evidence of having engaged in a severe struggle. Some of the front teeth have been knocked out and the face is bruised and discovered. In Whitechapel, naturally, the greatest excitement prevails and several persons in the neighbourhood state that an affray took place early in the morning, and they think 
that during this the murder was committed. Another account states that the deceased, who was from 35 to 40 years of age, wore a rough brown ulster with large buttons, and her clothes were cut and torn in several places. There is at present no trace of the murderer or the name of the deceased. The murdered woman was wearing workhouse clothes, and it is supposed she came from Lambeth. A night watchman was in the street where the crime was committed. He heard no screams and saw no signs of the scruffle. The body was quite warm when brought into the mortuary at half-past four in the morning. The brutality of the murder is beyond conception or description. Not only was the unfortunate woman's throat cut in two gashes with a sharp instrument, but the knife was stabbed into the lower part of the abdomen and savagely drawn upwards twice, one cut cutting left of the groin and hip and the other slitting the abdomen as high as the breastbone. This is the third brutal murder of the kind in this locality, and the police believe the perpetrator must be a ferocious maniac. Immediately on the affair being reported at the Bethnal Green police station, two inspectors proceeded to the mortuary and examined the clothes. In the hope of being able to discover something likely to lead to her identification, in this they were not successful, as the only articles found on the body were a broken comb and a piece of looking-glass. The wounds, of which there were five, could only have been committed by a dagger or a long, sharp knife. The officers engaged in the case are pushing their inquiries in the neighbourhood as the doings of certain gangs known to frequent these parts, and an opinion is gaining ground amongst them that the murderers are the same who committed the two previous murders near the same spot. It is believed that these gangs who make their appearance during the early hours of the morning are in the habit of blackmailing these poor creatures, and where their demands are refused, violence follows. Up till noon, Mr. Wynne E. Baxter, the coroner for the district, had not received any official intimation of the occurrence. But the inquest will most likely be held on Monday morning. Bucks Row is a narrow passage running out of Thomas Street and contains about a dozen houses of a very low class. It would appear as if the murder was committed in a house, and the body afterwards removed to the place where it was found. The nature of the abdominal wounds being such that it would be hardly possible for them to be inflicted whilst the deceased was dressed, the body was warmly clad. From the Witness Examiner, September 1888. Horrible murder in London. Another brutal murder was committed in Whitechapel, London, on Friday morning, when a constable found a woman lying dead with her throat cut and her body cut open in Bucks Row, St. Thomas Street. There was evidence of a desperate struggle. The murderer is unknown, 
The brutality of the crime leads the police to believe that the perpetrator must be a ferocious maniac. This is the third crime of the kind which has occurred in the neighbourhood recently. The deceased wore a rough brown ulster with large buttons in front. Her clothes are torn and cut off in several places, bearing evidence of the ferocity with which the murder was committed. The only way by which the police can prosecute an inquiry at present is by finding someone who can identify the body, and then, if possible, to trace those in whose company she was last seen. The greatest excitement prevails in the locality, and several persons in the neighbourhood state that an affray occurred shortly after midnight, but no screams were heard nor anything beyond what might have been considered evidence of an ordinary brawl. The brutality of the murder is beyond conception or description. Not only was the unfortunate woman's throat cut in two gashes with a sharp instrument, but the knife was stabbed into the lower part of the abdomen and savagely drawn upwards twice, one cutting left of the groin and hip, and the others slitting the body as high as the breastbone. Later details show that the clothing of the woman was not torn and cut as first stated, nor were there any indications of a struggle. Part of the underclothing shows that the deceased was recently an inmate of Lambeth Workhouse. The police who are making a most careful investigation into the matter express an opinion that the deceased was killed by a left-handed person, judging from the nature of the injuries. No one as yet has come forward to identify the body. Bucks Row say another correspondent is a narrow passage running out of Thomas Street and contains about a dozen houses of very low class. It would appear as if the murder were committed in a house and the body afterwards removed to the place where it was found, the nature of the wounds being such that it would hardly be possible for them to be inflicted whilst the deceased was dressed. The body was warmly clad. The workhouse stamp was on one of the undergarments. The body has not yet been identified, though a large number of people have visited the Whitechapel mortuary. The date of the inquest has not yet been fixed. From the Edinburgh Evening News, September 1888, The Whitechapel Murder. The body of the deceased has been identified as that of a married woman named Mary Ann Nichols, who was living apart from her husband for some years. She was discharged from the workhouse a few months ago and went into domestic service at Wandsworth, suddenly leaving her situation under suspicious circumstances seven weeks ago. Since that time she has frequented the locality of Whitechapel and was seen in Whitechapel Road on the night of the murder under the influence of drink. Body dragged some distance. It was evident yesterday morning that the murder was committed some distance from the place where the body was found. This was in Bucks Row about 
midway down its length. Bucks Row is a short street, occupied half by factories and half by dwellings. Halfway down the street is the house of a Mrs. Green. Next to it is a large stable yard whose wide closed gateway is next to the house. In front of this gateway, the woman was found by two men, who at first supposed her to be drunk, but closer inspection saw first a pool of blood in the gutter before her, and then the deathly witness of the woman's face stained as it was with blood. One of them remained by her, while the other found Constable Neal. Constable Neal immediately woke the Green family and asked them if they had heard any unusual noise. Neither Mrs. Green, her son, nor her daughter, all of whom were sleeping within a few feet of where the body lay, had heard any outcry. All agreed that. The night was unusually quiet. I should have heard it had there been any, I think, said Mrs. Green, for I have trouble with my heart and am a very light sleeper. My son went down as soon as the body was taken away and washed away the bloodstains on the pavement. There was quite a pool, though. I understood most of it soaked into the woman's dress. I looked out and saw the body as it lay there. It was lying straight across the gateway, its head towards me. It was not lying in a heap as if it had fallen, but on its back and straight as if it had been laid there. I could not tell at first whether it was a man or a woman, but James, my son, who went downstairs, returned and told me it was a woman. This was four o'clock in the morning. Across the street lives a Mr. Perkins, whose wife is not very well. They sleep in the front room, and either Mr. Perkins or his wife was awake at short intervals up to four o'clock yesterday morning. Neither heard the slightest sound in the street, and both agreed that it was an unusually quiet night, as there are sometimes brawls and fights or drunken men passing the house which disturbs the sleep. They were sure that there was no outcry loud enough to be heard a few feet away. The Watchman in Snyder's Factory Just above the Perkins heard nothing. The Watchman in the Wool Depot just made the same statement, and it may be accepted as certain that the poor, murdered and mangled victim was taken to the place where she was found after life was extinct. The detectives yesterday searched the stable yard and every vacant space in the vicinity in the hope of discovering some clue. None appeared, however. They kept a sharp lookout for the knife with which the deed was done, but found no trace of it. Everything seemed to indicate that the scene of the murder was some distance away. Meanwhile, the people in Brady Street were in a high state of excitement. Brady Street is a long thoroughfare that runs to the left from the bottom of Bucks Row. Early yesterday morning, fresh bloodstains were observed for quite a distance along the sidewalks. There would be drop after drop, two or three feet and sometimes six feet apart for a distance, and then a large pool or splash. 
As soon as the murder became known, a lively interest was taken in these bloodstains, and they began to be traced. They were soon found to be on both sides of the street, and it was some time before it was seen that the bleeding person had travelled or been carried in a zigzag line. The trail was easily followed down Brady Street for 150 yards to Honey's Mews, and in front of this gateway there was a large stain, looking as if the bleeding person had fallen against the wall and lain there. From here to the foot of Buck's Row in which the body was found, the trail of blood is clearly marked. It was wet yesterday morning, and at noon, although the sun had dried it, and therefore had been many feet passing over it, it was still plainly discernible. The zigzag direction it took crossing and recrossing the street was, and is, a matter of mystery. In the space of a hundred yards, the woman crossed the street twice, and whenever she crossed a large stain of blood in place of the line of drops indicated that she had stopped. There are a number of people who early yesterday morning heard the screams of the victim. None of them paid any particular attention to them, however, except Mrs. Colwell, who lives between Bucks Row and the next turning. She said, I was awoken early by my children, who said someone was trying to get into the house. I listened and heard screams. They were in a woman's voice, and although frightened, were faint-like, as would be natural if she was running. She was a screaming, Murder! Police! Murder! Police! Murder! Police! She screamed this five or six times, and seemed to be getting further and further away towards the bottom of Buck's Row all the time. I heard no other voice and no other steps. She seemed to be all alone. I think I would have heard the steps if anyone had been running after her, unless they were running on tiptoe. This is the clearest account of the outrage furnished in Brady Street. It seems to make it evident that the murder was committed there. How any person gashed as the deceased had been cut could have run or walked any distance at all, much less a hundred yards, is a mystery, as the loss of blood must have been immediate and exhausting. That the murderer had only partially completed his work and followed her up to finish it is a possibility. One fact is certain, however, that the woman could not have reached the gateway in Buck's Row herself, and must have been carried or dragged there. That she was carried is more likely, as dragging her would have left more stains than appear on the Buck's Row pavement. All day long, the streets which were the scene of the murder have been crowded, the horrible atrocity of the deed following so quickly upon the equally horrible tragedy of a few weeks ago has alarmed all the women in the neighbourhood. The excitement was great, and more the crowds of women looked at the bloodstains, the more excited they became. 
There was yesterday a general cry for better police protection, and the statement was everywhere made that a policeman is as rare as a wild duck in these districts, and somehow is never at hand when anything happens. The only clue to the direction taken by the murderer was discovered shortly after noon. While there were plenty of blood stains in the direction from which the woman was brought, some were found elsewhere. At one o'clock, however, some men searching the pavement in Buck's Row about the gateway found two large spots of blood, each about the size of a shilling. The first was about twenty-five feet from the gateway, and the second ten feet beyond. Both were a few inches from the curb in the roadway and clearly defined. It is believed that they came either from the hands or the clothing of the murderer as he went away, and the drops are so large without any others near them that they seem to have been resulted from the squeezing of some blood-soaked clothing. The watchman at the wool factory, whose doorway is a few feet below the doorway where the woman was found, and on the other side of the street, says that exactly three o'clock he spoke to two men who stopped just outside this gate and they moved on without any trouble. He says that there was nobody lying in the stable gateway at that time and no one in the street. Moreover, he heard no noise from that time forth and he was wide awake all the time until the police in the street attracted his attention. His statement only emphasises the extreme stealth and care with which the murderer must have acted. The woman in a position similar to that of the deceased alleged that there is a man known as Leather Apron who has more than once attacked unfortunate and defenceless women. His dodges, it is asserted, to get them into some house on the pretense of offering them money. He then takes whatever little they have and half kills them in addition. The woman told her companion that she had been married, but her husband had left her some time ago. She is described as having been quiet for the life she followed. This concludes this episode of Whitechapel Wednesdays. We really hope you enjoyed the show. The next set of relevant chronological news reports will be uploaded next Wednesday. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and tell your friends. Subscribing really helps us. We are aiming to get 1,000 subscribers. There's no cost to you, and it really helps us to support what we're doing. Just tap on the subscribe button that pops up if you haven't already subscribed. We have listened to our listeners' feedback and are working on increasing our longer episodes to four times a week. They will be uploaded Tuesdays, Wednesdays for our Whitechapel Wednesdays, Thursdays, and our new serial killer Saturdays. With shorter but we believe still interesting stories uploaded on the other days of the week. For our podcast listeners, you can see this podcast with the associated pictures on our YouTube channel at News of the Times. 
You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you again for watching and listening. This has been News of the Times, and I am Robin Coles.